0: Hi, I'm Chris Sprouse, speaker of the Florida House and former prosecutor. From policy briefs to white papers, court cases to brutal police records, no matter my role, reading has been a central part of my mission to defend American values. But this isn't just my job. Reading books is a personal passion and getting to know the authors behind the ideas on the page is one of my favorite pastimes. The Red, White and Blue podcast is now in session. Welcome back listeners I'm super pumped to introduce our guest today Super Bowl champion and children's book author Malcolm Mitchell I discovered his book the magician's hat with my kids which they love before ever finding out about Malcolm's work on youth literacy which we both have a passion for Malcolm has a foundation called share the magic and it has served more than 421,000 kids so far read with Malcolm programs have served children throughout the country and continue to do so daily. The foundation has been a big presence here in Florida, working closely with schools and communities to help kids become champion readers. If you are a parent or an educator, you will definitely want to listen to this episode to learn about some of the great free reading programs here and virtually that you can take advantage of for your kids. Malcolm grew up nearby in Valdosta, Georgia, attended the University of Georgia, and was drafted by the New England Patriots in 2016. He became a Super Bowl champion in 2017, but he says his greatest achievement was discovering a love of reading. I won't make you wait any longer. Here's my interview with Malcolm Mitchell. Malcolm, thanks so much for joining us for the podcast today. Thank
1: you for having me. I am looking forward to this conversation. I have some secrets that you may not know. Ooh. Uh, I'm not going to reveal them just yet.
0: <laughs> well, I'm, ex- I'm excited about that. You know, here we are. I'm, I'm in Florida right now, which, you know, a lot of people will say is, is still SEC country. Uh, so some people know you from the Georgia Bulldogs. That's Others right. might know you as a Super Bowl champ uh, with the New England Patriots. Um, I know you best. I feel like uh, as, a, as an author, as a champion uh, for children's literacy. So tell us about your passion uh, for children's literacy and how, how that became such a big part of, of what you do in your life.
1: Well, let me start by stating, um, I did not always feel that way about literacy. I grew up in Valdosta, Georgia. And the first secret I have for you is that I actually moved to Largo, Florida, Wow. where I went to Southern Oak Elementary School, pre-K through fifth grade.
0: That's awesome.
1: But once I got back to Valdosta, Georgia in middle school, I was just like every other child. I gravitated towards sport and I didn't fully understand the importance of an education. It's when I got to college on an athletic scholarship that I realized how big of a mistake that was, that if I fueled my brain as much as I was fueling my body as an athlete, it would take me to similar places. And no, it wouldn't be as attractive as playing football, but my desired outcome was to be in a position to take care of my family. And I realized that reading and education presented that opportunity in a sustainable way. Now, the only issue when I came to this revelation at 20 years old is that I had spent the first 20 years of my life neglecting uh, literacy. So, I struggled. And then I found a passion and drive to overcome that challenge and use literacy as a tool to expand, grow, and excel in other areas of life. So, uh, from all of that, I became a champion for literacy because I wanted other kids to understand how important reading was to your overall success. But also realizing that this tool could create economic opportunities. That those who read are more likely to be financially free than those who do not. And growing up in an impoverished community, the thing that I wanted more than anything else was
0: not to be there. Yeah. (laughs) No no, no doubt. I, I love this part of your story, right? Because it, you know, it, it really fits in with you know, the work that you've done, not only in child literacy, but the books that you've written. But I want to I just talk a little bit more about it. You know, here you are, you're getting into your 20s. You've been very successful at this point, you know, playing sports as an athlete. Um, at that point in your life, is it was reading something that, hey, I really struggled with, um, wasn't particularly good at, or is it just something I didn't, I didn't do a lot of? I mean, I give, give a flavor for parents because I think it's important, you know, you get to your 20s. So much of this, you know, if we can't get kids reading on grade level or things like that at a certain age, it becomes really, really difficult to catch up. This was so important to you that you made it an important part of your life. So, so tell us about that a little.
1: Well, you're absolutely right. I was having a lot of athletic success while the time around the same time I realized that I was struggling as a reader. And I think for me, it was a combination of both. One, I didn't understand the importance of reading. As a child, my teacher told me to read to get an A in class. Well, that was making the assumption that I cared about getting an A. My teacher told me to read to pass the class. Well, that's an assumption that I care about passing the class. And what I cared about more than anything else was financial freedom and playing sport. And no one had connected the dots for me how reading amplified both of those areas of life. I didn't come to that realization until much later. But to answer your question, I struggled with reading as a child, and I did not read often as a child. So, that's not a recipe for success.
0: You, you know, you find yourself, I think, if I remember the story correctly, you know, in college, you know, looking around the bookstore, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, there's an elderly woman, I think, takes an interest in you and opens up your kind of your world to a book club, you know, tell us about what that was like, you know, here you are, you know, now we're in that place in your life where this, you know, this passion for wanting to get better at something intersects with a personal experience.
1: I'll be remiss if I don't mention my mother and all of this. And I deflect and go in that area only to bring it back to the question you asked originally. But my mother told me something that was very important to my story. And I was in college wanting to be a reader, I called home and told her, you know, I give up on this because I'm already having athletic success. Why do I need to read? And here's how my mother responds. She says, being the best football player you can be and being the best person you can be are two separate things. And being the best person you can be lasts a lot longer. That was all I needed to hear, right? That's all I needed to know. So from that point on, I started striving to be the best Malcolm that I could be. And I realized that reading played an important role in that. I set out to be a better reader. And I realized this old saying was true. You are who you hang around. So I decided if I wanted to be a reader, I needed to hang around readers. I go to a bookstore, I noticed, uh, an elderly woman holding four or five different books. And I say to myself, I guarantee you this woman knows something about books. (laughs) I go ask her for a book recommendation. Let me be completely true. I start to go ask her for a book recommendation, and I walk past her afraid that she would not accept me. She was an elderly white woman. I was this young Black college student. I just didn't think she would be receptive of me. I was a stranger. I found the courage to overcome that fear and I walk up to her anyway. And she embraces me like she's known me her whole life. Wow. I ask her for a book recommendation. She shares three or four book recommendations. Then she mentions she's in a book club. I asked to join her book club <laughs> and only to break down another social bias. This woman embraces me and invites me to her book club. And no one in that book club looked like me. I can almost guarantee none grew up in the same environment that I grew up in. I was the only male. I was the only one of my generation. I was the only one of my racial background. That did not matter to them. Therefore, it did not matter to me. And for two and a half years, every second Tuesday of the month, we read books together and discussed them.
0: Wow. Wow. What an awesome story. And, and what a cool experience for somebody who's on a journey to be a better reader, to be, you know, have a love affair with books, to meet somebody like that, end up in a book club. What, what's so neat. And obviously had a, has had a massive impact on you and your, your trajectory. It changed everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you go on obviously to, to write, not just, you know, develop a passion for reading, but write a book of your own. That's right, And, you know, I want to talk about uh, The Magician's Hat because I, I got to tell you, and I think I mentioned this to you offline, you know, The Magician's Hat, which is a, the book, one of the first books, the first book you wrote. Um, I've read it to my kids uh, at, their, at the, their school for story time. I think it's an awesome book for kids to hear, especially in a group who are talking about reading and books. But hearing that story you just told sort of reminds me of, of you um, and sort of your your own experience. So, so tell us why you wrote The Magician's Hat and what it's all about. So I wrote
1: The Magician's Head originally in college. I wrote it in 2015 and I self-published because at the time NIL was not a relevant thing. You could not sign on with publishers even if they had interest. So I wrote this story uh, because I realized just how important reading was to overall success in our society. That it's very hard to be productive in any area of life without the basic fundamental skills associated with reading. It impacts everything. It impacts quality of life, economic opportunities, interaction with the criminal justice system. You name it, reading impacts it all. And I realized as a child in my community, we missed this message. For whatever reason, no one's at fault. I'm just making the claim we did not understand that. Because I'm sure if we understood that, we would have not given up on life after football did not work out. We would have understood there are other opportunities out there. So once I came to the realization of how powerful this tool really is, it became my ambition to share it with as many people as possible so I could do what my mom had did for me. And that's infused an abundant amount of hope. Therefore, children or adults could overcome any situation that they're faced with. That's all I really wanted to do. That's all I really want to do as an author is encourage and inspire. Um, And if I can motivate one child to read, uh, then it's all worth it because it has fundamentally changed every facet of my life. And I know some of my friends would still be alive. I know some of my friends would not be serving their life in jail if they would have been able to grasp hold of the power of reading a lot sooner in their life. I believe that.
0: Absolutely. And I, I'm so glad you connected that those dots for our listeners, because we've talked a lot in the past about the data of kids who, you know, aren't reading on grade level at third grade, and how a significant portion of them don't graduate high school, how that's the same percentage of the folks who are in our county jail who never got to learn to read and, and really, the the, the issues that that are around that. What, what I love, particularly about the magician's hat, though, is, you know, so many kids books are fun, they're, in, you know, they're, they're good to read to your kids for a couple minutes, but there's not always an overarching sort of moral message, you know, and as a parent and i know and i know you're a you're a dad last year uh, as a parent like you want you want your kids to get something and exactly. what i loved about the magician's hat was they're getting something they're learning that you know this kid over the books can open up a new world for them there's this line it's my favorite line in the book the desires that are in you bring out the magic in these books I love that so much. You know, when I was coming in as Speaker of the House, we talked about the New World's Reading Initiative and getting books in the hands of struggling readers, and really the the, the whole New World's name really just came up of we want kids to expand their minds and picture new worlds and new places, right. and and that's really what the Magician's Hat is. It's like that's, anything's possible.
1: Well, I'll never forget the first book I read. Um, it, that really opened my eyes to the possibility of books. It was titled The Glass Castle. Now, I'm going to share some information that may be a bit embarrassing uh, for me, but it's the truth. From the time I was born until I was 20, I thought all books were fiction. I mm-hmm. thought they were all stories that were made up. I thought books weren't real. Yeah. For whatever reason, I went through life believing that. So someone introduces me to The Glass Castle, a book written by Jeanette Walls. And I start this book with the same false perception that all books are fiction. Midway through the book, I pause and I say, wait a second, this is this is too real. This is too close to my reality. Right. So I Google the book and I realize that it's nonfiction. Hmm. I realized the life of that author is similar to the life that I live, even though we're drastically different, probably within every category. Um, And I realized just how powerful books really were in terms of pulling you outside of your own scope of reality, putting you in someone else's shoes, building empathy from that perspective, gaining greater insight on the different perspectives of the world. I just consider reading to be magic from that point on. And hence, that's why I created Share the Magic Foundation. Hence, that's why my first book is titled The Magician's Head. Because the magic of reading is undeniable.
0: There's no doubt about that. I I remember reading The Glass Castle, too, and you can feel sort of the weight of the emotions as you're you're going through it. Um, I want to talk about the Share the Magic Foundation, but you made me think of something when you were talking about, hey, I saw myself. You know, in this story of this, you know, this young woman who's telling her life story. I saw my own my own story. Right. And uh, what I what I love about that is whether it's in the magician's hat, but also in, you know, my favorite book in the whole wide world. Right. I, you know, (laughs) it's so important for kids. To, to read a book where they see themselves, they see their struggle, they see the, their dreams and aspirations, and you write this book, my, my favorite book in the whole wide world, where I feel like is, is exactly that, as kids seeing themselves. You know, right. particularly kids who don't want to read, they're struggling readers, they think it's boring. Uh, so you you write that book as well uh, after the Magician's Hat. You know, tell us what you were going for there, and kind of some of the reactions you've seen from from kids who maybe have interacted with your book.
1: It's funny, I actually had a tiff with the publisher about the delivery of my very favorite book in the whole wide world. They felt it was negative, it was not uh, exciting, and parents would consider it to be not a great book for their children. And I thought to myself, well, the truth is majority of kids do not want to read. (laughs) Right. I was a part of that group. So in my very favorite book, I'm only confessing the obvious truth, especially based on literary statistics in our country. Right. The number of proficient readers has dwindled over time. So to me, with my very favorite book in the whole wide world, I wanted to address the truth. And my truth as a child was I thought reading was boring I did not want to engage in the activity. I'd rather be outside playing football or basketball or some other sport that I was interested in, or I'd find any reason to distract myself from engaging in reading. Hmm. Now, that's only acknowledging that truth. The other truth is the power of reading is real and it exists. So how can I acknowledge the reality that reading is challenging, while also trying to inspire kids to engage in the process and seeing it being worthwhile. So my very favorite book in the whole wide world was me trying to tell the holistic point of view of reading, especially in under-resourced communities.
0: Uh, absolutely. And, and and you did it so well. I mean, you did it so well. I, I have we have a copy of the book at our house, but I've also watched you uh, read the book on YouTube, um, which clearly, you know, you did for kids and and it allows the child. You know, you know, I've got one one kid who loves to read another one who's like, you know, not another not another book, not another 20 minutes today, dad. And, you know, I think for for kids who are struggling in particular to see, hey, I'm not the only one who struggles. Exactly. <laughs> I can find something that's just for me. And if I can't find it, I'll make it myself um, exactly. and make it interesting. So uh, I think it's just a great a great story. Um, anybody who listens to you talk. Malcolm, whether it's on this podcast or they've seen one of your motivational, inspirational you know, uh, speeches, knows and can feel your passion for children's literacy. Uh, you mentioned before uh, the Share the Magic Foundation, where you serve as the CEO. Tell us about the work of the foundation that you're doing around ch- children's literacy.
1: Yeah, the foundation was created in 2016, immediately after I graduated from the University of Georgia. We focus on two things, book ownership. Making, making sure kids have access to print. We know that the book to child ratio in under resourced communities is 30 to 1 for middle class families. In under resourced communities, it's uh, one book for every one age appropriate book for every 300 kid, students. So, you know, I can be on your podcast or give keynote speeches and talk about the importance of reading, but if kids don't have access to print, well, there's still a gap there. So we try to address that void. And the second thing I, I try to do is uh, amplify the benefits of being an active reader. And I do that through our virtual reading challenges. Essentially, my, the foundation created digital platforms for educators to engage their students in reading-based activities. And that's what we focus on. We accomplish that goal through two two main channels in school programs where I actually come to the school and hand out books and I bring a magician and <laughs> it's basically, awesome. we call it a reading rally. It's yeah. basically a cup rally for reading. That's awesome. The second thing we do is we created virtual reading challenges, uh, which is our digital platform where teachers can engage their students in reading-based activities now, these are really fun because what I did was take the concept of reading and the competition in sport, and I merged them together. Let me give you an example. Read Bowl is our biggest program, and it happens in January through February. Read Bowl is set up where classrooms across the country compete to see who could read the most minutes within a four-week time period. All right, so a class, a third grade class in Hawaii could be competing with a third grade class in Texas. And the third grade class in Texas could be competing with the third grade class in Maine. And at the end, we we have winners. So you can see how I try to make it fun and exciting, bring in the competition, but also focus on the importance of reading.
0: I, I love the programming. I love you have clearly have you thought through, hey, do you need a rally? Do you need a competition? Whatever motivates you. And right. I actually went down to visit a barbershop in St. Pete Because they had a barbershop book club and there was an article about it in the paper. I'm like, I've got to see this thing. And I went down there and uh, the barber there, Antonio Brown, uh, had a barbershop book club where he would have the kids read to him while he was cutting their hair. And if they read to him, he'd give them the book when they left. And, and he had modeled a a reading bowl basically after your program. That's uh, amazing. For the kids who came into the barbershop. So, like, you know, you're doing this foundation and it's awesome. You're going to these schools. But there's also people in barbershop book clubs, uh, potentially across the country, certainly here in St. Petersburg and Pinellas County, uh, who are who are modeling this because they have seen, hey, if I can just create a little competition of these kids and make it fun, I got to make it fun before they'll want to do it.
1: And it's true. I mean, you're competing with video games. You're competing with YouTube. The digital The digital age is here. And I won't go too far on that because I don't want to get too far in my head. But the truth is, I think reading is the most empowering tool a human being can possess. But when you compare it to playing a PlayStation, even as an adult, I tell you, I'd rather play the PlayStation. But because I have those decision-making skills and my frontal lobe is fully developed, I hope (laughs) you know I can say, you know, maybe I shouldn't spend majority of my time on a video game and actually reading. And, I, and sometimes incentives help children make that choice. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, as long as it's an appropriate in- incentive. Second surprise, I started playing football at the YMCA Largo, Florida.
0: Oh, my Lord. Well, you know, I've got a special passion for the YMCA. <laughs> I uh, I met my wife at the YMCA and and she's wow. still, uh, she's in that same YMCA and she's still uh, a vice president there. But that's where I, listen, my, without the YMCA, I'm not, you know, I'm not married. I not, don't have two kids. So it's kind of a big deal for me.
1: And if it wasn't for the YMCA, I'm not sure I would have ever played football.
0: Wow. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome i'm really glad to hear that my kids are in the ymca kind of football program right now so i'll have to tell them that when i get home (laughs) that the book they like uh the author was part of that same program you know you had said something that i want to just i want to go back to for a minute because when we came out the new world's reading initiative we started talking about hey we've got to put books in the hands of struggling readers and you talked to us about some some really important statistics that i think we sort of take for granted which is we sort of think, hey, every house is like mine and there's books for our kids to read and pick up and you know, look at the pictures or read. And the reality is a startling percentage of kids who are struggling readers don't have a book in their home. And the first thing we have to do to tackle this challenge is if, look, if I've got a football at home, I might play with the football, but if I don't have a book at home, I'm never going to fall in love with reading. I'm never going to be a reader. So right. so talk to us because that's what we really tried to tackle with New Worlds. You've tried to tackle it with the uh, Share the Magic Foundation. But if you're a listener who maybe doesn't relate to that, talk about, you know, being particularly in the Title I schools that I know you visit often and how these kids, you know, this might be the only book they have is the one you've given them.
1: Yeah, let me attack it from this angle. Money is the number one survival resource, all right? The necessities: is food, water, and shelter. In order to get those three things, you, you have to have money. Now, in order to get a book, you have to have money, but let's just assume you have to take care of those three things first before you can even get into accessories. So before I can buy a book for my child, I have to make sure that they have food, water, and shelter. If you're going to a Title I school, living in an under-resourced community, those three things are very hard to maintain. Yet alone, you tag on a $15 book, which is the average cost for a picture book. With that information, I'm not surprised that families and under-resourced communities don't have the financial resources to buy the 20 books we know will change the trajectory of a child's life. I think the statistic is if a child has 20 books at home, they're like 75% more likely to get three additional years in school versus the child who doesn't. Well. I mean, 15 times 20, I'm not going to try to do the math in my head, but that's a lot of additional revenue a family needs to to change that trajectory. So what we try to do is be honest with the information we have and say, okay, if families can't afford what I consider to be a necessity in having books at home, how can we serve them and make sure that we can start supporting their children, building their in-home libraries? because we know that's gonna be a game changer. Like you said, if a football is sitting there, it's very easy for a child to engage in that activity. And oh, by the way, mainstream media pushes the ideal of football so much that even if a child is not interested, they'll pick it up just out of sheer curiosity. Now, is there a media channel out there that's pushing the excitement of books at the same level that ESPN pushes Monday Night Football?
0: No chance. Yeah.
1: No chance. Yeah. So even if the book is sitting there, <laughs> right? you almost have to create some level of excitement to get the child to engage in the activity. And oh, by the way, once they struggle to read, they have to have enough excitement to persevere and continue to try. I mean, it's it's difficult, but it's worthwhile. <laughs> Yeah.
0: No, it it really is. I'm so and I'm so glad you you came at it from that angle because I think it paints the picture. I also think for people like you, like the members of the legislature, like folks like Representative Dana Tripolsi who carried our New Worlds bill, it gives us something so meaningful to fight for. I mean, I think when people realize, hey, it's not just about giving the book to the kid. Yeah, that feels great but if we could build their home library over a period of time what if i told you it made them so much less likely to to drop out of school or go to jail or be depressed or commit suicide or not have a job or not have other college opportunities if when people know that they're like gosh like let me go out and let's 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 tackle this thing. Let's tackle it today. When I tell them forty-five percent of kindergartners, you know, who are starting are are already below bro level when it comes to recognizing letters and reading. You know, they develop a passion for it. And then we realize that this is one of the, I think the great, I think you'd agree with this, Malcolm, one of the great causes of our country right now is making sure that our children can, can learn on to read on grade level.
1: A thousand percent. I think more so now than in the past. And COVID amplified everything. Yeah. And I, th- and I think it amplified our understanding of necessities in relation to education and literacy being that primary, that primary subject to attack to hopefully close that learning gap that we know is wide. We know that if children aren't reading, it's going to be, it's going to be hard for them to have academic success. So what can we do in every, ar- in every area to enhance a child's ability to acquire that skill? I think that's that's definitely what I focus on. That's what my foundation focuses on. And I and that's why I write, you know, how can I help kids engage with this activity in such a way that it empowers and changes the trajectory of their life? If you can point at something else, I always challenge my friends, tell me what else can do that? Yeah. What else can do that in a sustainable way?
0: And you're arming the kids for life, right? I mean, you right. you know, you said something earlier, which I love, which was about, hey, listen, you can't compete with a video game. you know, you got to get the kids early to, to learn to read. I interviewed a guy named uh, Dr. Nicholas Kaderes who wrote a, a book called Digital Madness and Glow Kids where he basically makes the argument. You want to arm your kids for all the world that's coming at them, all the social media stuff and all the, the video games? Get them a passion to learn to read. That's the best thing as a parent you can do to save your children and to give them the critical thinking skills to deal with the, the scary world out there. Make them a reader. That's what you can do.
1: A thousand percent. I mean, I can talk for hours about that. I really could. But uh, I want to make sure I respect the, the other questions you have, because the truth is, here's what makes reading powerful. And I'm not a neurologist, nor am I a psychologist. So I'm only speaking from an experience-based perspective. So don't be too critical on uh, my poor vernacular. Here's what I noticed when I started reading. I used to have conversations with other people. And the minute someone said something to me that I found offensive, conversation's dead. I'm no longer listening. Now I am arguing. Because now I'm trying to defend my position against yours. Sure. Well, when you read, who are you arguing with? You can say you're arguing with the author, but in actuality, you're arguing with yourself in your own perspective based off your experiences in life. And through that psychology, however it works, you end up stretching and pulling yourself in different ways that you would have never imagined. Let me give you an example. I read a book titled It's Light Between Oceans. And the story is based on a family who went to an island with a lighthouse and found a baby adrift. The wife had some fertility challenges. So when she saw this baby, she embraced it and raised this child as her own. The husband always he was skeptical, but he went along with it, seeing that the child didn't have parents. Well, a few years later, this family leaves the island and they go to the mainland and they see wanted photos with the baby's face on there.
0: Mm.
1: Wanted uh, flyers with the baby's face on there. So, the, the, the father's immediately thinking, oh, we have to say something. <laughs> the mother's thinking, no, we don't. Anyway, the point is-
0: And you can see what, it from both sides.
1: What scenario in life would I, when would I ever be in that scenario? As a male. I don't go to any lighthouses. <laughs> but the, the point is, I am forced immediately to think outside of my own scope of reality. And that stretches me. That opens my mind. Again, I'm not a scientist. But there's something special happen that happens when you start reading and debating with yourself internally based on your
0: experiences in life. Uh, I think that's a perfect example. And I think it, it really shows folks, particularly parents, I think. Now, imagine doing that times 50 or 100 when, when your kid starts to multiply the amount of books that they've read.
1: When you want your child to learn about cultural diversity, instead of trying to force the conversation on them, maybe introduce a book. Again, I'll stay stay in my lane, but there's something powerful that takes place when you read.
0: Well, I I couldn't agree with you more, Malcolm. And I I also think that what you've done in writing your two books through the share the magic foundation how you've interacted with over 420,000 students and helped them become readers donated over 65,000 books have committed your you know your time and talent treasure to to engaging with kids across the country to help them read on grade level is going to have a massive impact on our mission to get kids to read at grade level. I know as a lawmaker, as a Floridian, as a dad, uh, I couldn't be more grateful for what you're doing. I appreciate it and really appreciate you being with me today.
1: I appreciate you. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for tuning into Red, White and Blue this week for my discussion with Malcolm Mitchell. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Malcolm's next free virtual reading challenge is Read Marathon, a 26.2 day long reading event. The starting line is October 11th, and I invite you to register your kids at readwithmalcolm.com slash readmarathon. You can learn more about this and many other free reading programs by visiting readwithmalcolm.com. Until next time, this is Chris Sprouse signing off.